Wow, what amazing, amazing singing tonight. Thank you, students, for leading us in this energetic and powerful experience of worship. Uh, We love to sing, and our songs of worship, in essence, are love songs. Sometimes we sing about God's love for us. Sometimes we sing our love for God. As I shared with our students on the middle school retreat, I have loved love songs for a long time. In fact, if you look at the songs that are on my phone that I listen to, uh, there are a lot of love songs to God. And then there are just some love songs there and um, just songs of, uh, of love. And there, there are songs that are very happy songs of love. And then we all know there's some very sad songs of love about love lost. One that caught my attention not long ago, a song by a singer named Bruno Mars, who um, who sings to the girl he lost, I should have brought you flowers. I should have held your hand. Should have given you all my hours when I had the chance. And you know the rest of that song. And uh, now his baby's dancing with another man. And it's, a, it's just a sad story. And I don't know why it caught my attention, but it did. And I, I'm interested in that. Um, and particularly, I think, the letter to the church in Ephesus is a story about love lost. And in our journey into the book of Revelation, we've come now to seven letters. And Jesus is the speaker. If you've got a red letter edition of the Bible, all the letters, all the words are in red. Because this is Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. And I had the chance some years ago to visit the city of Ephesus. It is a most impressive place, maybe the most impressive archaeological uh, excavation I've ever seen. It was, after all, the leading city in Asia, which is in present-day Turkey. We should know Ephesus because our letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament was written to that particular church. For for that matter, um, when Paul wrote his letters to Timothy, he was writing to Timothy as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. John Uh, was the pastor of the church in Ephesus in his latter years. It's uh, an amazing city to this day. Um, When we walked there, we saw a footprint in the street. There's some conversation about what that ancient footprint that's engraved into the street actually means. There's a Colosseum. There's a temple to the goddess Artemis there. She was the goddess of love. Uh, Chase and Graham posed with John Grant like lions on the steps of the library there when they were little boys. And there, when we were walking through the city, I remembered in Acts chapter 19 the story of Paul's ministry as he found disciples there and uh, the experience of demonic possession and the experience of the end of sorcery there. And maybe it's the first example in the Bible of city transformation. A city that was all out idolatrous, all about pagan worship, And the Christians had such an impact on that city that the people who were trading in uh, idols in the silver trade were losing business. And they complained about how the Christians were so devoted to their God that they had changed the city and it caused a riot. You can read that story in Acts chapter 19. I love Ephesus and what I know about that city, but... God loved Ephesus even more. So Jesus spoke first to this church, the leading city of Asia, the Lumen Asia, or the light of Asia, because as you came into the harbor, you would see the lights from so far away. It was an impressive city 
of nearly a quarter of a million people. And they called them, Jesus called them to return to their first love. So I want you to open your Bibles with me tonight to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to think about returning to our first love. We're going to return to our first love. And you'll remember we left Jesus speaking to the seven stars, the seven messengers, either angels or pastors in each of the individual churches. Let's stand together as we read God's Word in reverence for our God and His Word to us. Revelation chapter 2. Is it working? Testing, one, two. Good. I couldn't hear myself there, and I knew if I couldn't hear myself, you couldn't hear myself. So it's good. Do I need to repeat everything I've already said? No, I don't. No, we won't do that. We won't do that. We won't do that. You know, I love the book of Revelation um, primarily not because of what it, just what it said to the churches then or what it says about the future, But I'll tell you why I love the book of Revelation. Because of what it says about the way we should live today. Because it is relevant. Because it speaks to where we are. And and I'll leave it to the scholars to figure out which churches represent which ages in the history of the church. All I know is that like those believers in Ephesus, if I am not careful, I will leave the God 
I love. We sang it tonight. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So God, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for Your courts above. The real danger for us as I read the book of Revelation is that we would get all enraptured in trying to figure out the the chronology of the future and we would miss the point that God wants us to love Him first. Not just first in time, but first in importance. First above everything else in our lives. And what we see in these seven letters to those seven churches, which were actual churches in the ancient world, seven churches which would be found in present-day Turkey. We took a tour there years ago. If you were leaving from the island of Patmos, the first one you would come to would be the city of Ephesus. It was on the coast back then, but because of years of silt, the uh, harbor is now about about six miles from the entrance to the city where it used to be because so much silt came down the river that it just filled up that area. But the letter to the Ephesus shows us a pattern. And the pattern is Jesus first identifies Himself with some characteristic way of saying, I am here and I care about you and I'm in control. That's the way each of these letters starts. And then He will commend the church if there's anything in the church to commend. Laodicea gets left out of this part because there's apparently nothing in the church to commend. And then he will share some concern, something about the church that's not working right. And five of the seven churches have problems. He doesn't say anything about a condemnation or a concern to the churches in Smyrna or Philadelphia. And then the other three churches, Ephesus and Sardis and Thyatira, those three churches he says something good and then something bad and then he counsels them because Jesus is not just about showing us the problems in our lives he wants to offer us solutions about how we can draw closer to him again and then he makes a promise and the promise is typically to those who overcome those who listen to his counsel who are not just hearers of his word but doers of His Word. And when He talks to the church at Ephesus, He has so many good things to say to them about their discipline and their dedication and their determination and their discernment. All of these good things about that church in Ephesus. And then He has this one thing that concerns Him. He says, I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first Love. And then he gives them ideas about what they need to do. He says, You need to remember what it was like to be in love with me. And then you need to repent of what caused you to leave me. And then you need to return to me. And the promise is that if you overcome, he says, You will will be able to eat from the tree that is in the garden of life, the tree in paradise, the tree of life, like the tree of life in the garden of Eden. Like that tree, he says, there will be a tree and you will receive that and you will eat. I will feed you, he says. I will nourish you. You will live with me in relationship with me. But if you don't, here's the warning. I will remove your lampstand from its place. And of all the impressive things I saw in the ancient city of Ephesus when we went there, I even went across the lines. I, I need to confess my sins to you. I, I, I think one of my sons and I, we went on an exploration and we crossed some of the lines 
Yellow lines never meant anything to me anyway. We just went under the lines. We went into one of the ancient houses. It was beautiful. They lived in the lap of luxury. There was a beautiful mosaic of stone built into the floor of that ancient home. It was such an impressive city. But you know what I didn't find in the whole city of Ephesus? A church. There's no active church in Ephesus or in the neighboring surroundings around it because because Jesus said, if you don't return to your first love, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll take it away. And you will cease to be a church. And that prophecy has come true in that city. And when I look at Tallowood, I wonder if Jesus were walking among uh, our church, if He were walking among us, if we believe what it said, that He holds us in the palm of His hand and He loves us and He cares about us, what would Jesus say about Tallowood that's going well? I think if He were in this service tonight, I pray that He's in this service tonight. If He's not in this service tonight, we're in a lot of trouble. But if Jesus were able to tell us audibly tonight what He feels, I'm sure He would look at these young people who are singing from their hearts to God and He would just be grateful for that, for their praise, for their expressions of love to Him. I think He would be grateful for all the people who've come tonight to study God's Word on a, on a, a cloud-covered uh, Sunday night in Houston, Texas. I think He would say um, great attendance. I think He would talk about our commitment to missions at Tallowood and how serious we are about taking the whole Gospel to the whole earth. I think Jesus would commend our commitment to teaching the Word of God. He might say to us some of the very same things that He said to the church at Ephesus, but I wonder if He looked in my heart tonight. I won't speak for you, but if He looked in my heart, and He looked in your heart, would He be able to say that there was ever a time in our lives when we loved God more than we do right now? No, I can't answer that for you. You, you may remember. I remember the, 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 the middle school retreat this weekend reminded me of the retreat when I was in middle school. We went to uh, Luxembourg and I was there in a youth hostel with some of the students, and I surrendered to become a preacher on that middle school retreat, and I came home singing at the top of my lungs uh, as loud, uh, so much so that I annoyed my family. Follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Anywhere He leads me, I will follow across the river, down through the valley, or if it be on the mountain high, I'll go, Lord, anywhere You want me. Take me, here am I. And nobody who knew me at that time could have questioned how much I loved Jesus. I was head over heels in love with Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed that our love for God sometimes runs hot and cold. It waxes and it wanes. It grows and it diminishes. But Jesus wants us to love Him first. Not just first in time, but first in importance above everything else in our lives. So notice the, the commendations that He offers to this church. They've got a lot of great things going on. Uh, Jesus who holds the seven stars. He just has the seven stars in chapter 1. Now He's holding the seven stars. He was just among the lampstands in chapter 1. Now He's walking among the seven golden lampstands. And this is what He says, I know. It's the word oida. It's more powerful than gnosko. He says, uh, I know with the clarity of vision, I know everything about you. I know your deeds. 
because they were a church that was a hard-working church. A couple words there. One, your works, your deeds, and then your hard work is a word um, that means toil and labor. You work so hard that it hurts. He says you are a diligent church. It was a beehive of activity. There was something going on at the church in Ephesus all the time. And it's a good thing to work hard for the Lord. My, my young friend Grant Castleberry tweeted recently a, a biography about Spurgeon that said the only genius Spurgeon knew was the genius of hard work. And the church at Ephesus was about that. They were working hard and they were busy for the Lord. But it is possible to know the right things and to do the right things without being in the right place of love with God. And this was the danger for them. They were doing all the right things. And, and our calendar at Tallowood, I know our calendar is busy because we compete for weekends so that we can publicize our activities and all the staff has got their dates and we're trying to figure out how we're going to fit it all in during the year and you know what that's like we keep, we're not only busy but we keep you busy i think about that little poem mary had a little lamb grew up to be a sheep joined a local baptist church and died from lack of sleep i mean you can be really really busy in the church and they were diligent and i notice about them also that um, they, they were um, discerning. So he says, you can't tolerate wicked men. He says in verse 2, you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And we think about false teachers in our day. And this church was doctrinally sound. But it is possible to be orthodox and lose our love for God. It's possible to make a four point and miss the point. And the point of the Gospel is to love the God who loves us with an undying love. And the, the, first, the, look, the, the first thing um, that, the, that, that we learn about, about the church at Ephesus back in Acts chapter 19 is they held the Lord in high honor. They held Him in high honor. And then Paul in his letter to the Ephesians says, in chapter 5, verse 2, now live a life of love. And the last thing he says, and don't forget this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, is grace to you who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So they've got all, they've got all these deeds, this hard work, and they've got all this discernment, and they understand, and they reject false teaching. They see it. They know it when they see it. And beyond that, they're just, they're so dedicated. They've persevered, he says in verse 3. And they've endured hardships for his name. And they have not grown weary. Some years ago, D.L. Moody said, I get tired in the work, but I never get tired of the work. I, it, working for the Lord can, can be exhausting. Robert Murray McShane said, there is nothing quite so sweet as working hard for the Lord all day and then sleeping that night underneath His smile. There is a joy in working hard for the Lord. And I know Tallowood works hard and you are disciplined and dedicated and determined and discerning. All of these things are true. But he says this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Notice it's a choice they've made. They've walked away. Their first love has not walked away from them. God doesn't stop loving us. God doesn't walk away from us. 
we walk away from God. I think about that elderly couple who were in love for their whole lifetime and, and the wife was riding in the car and the husband was driving and she looked across the seat at him and she said, I remember when you couldn't drive this car unless I was sitting right next to you. This is before there were consoles in cars and there was just a bench seat. And she said, I remember you couldn't drive this car unless I was sitting right snuggled up next to you. And he just looked over and said, I haven't moved. <laughs> I'm still where I was. It's on you. And if we look at Jesus and say, you know, something's not right in our relationship. I just don't feel the love I used to feel. He hasn't moved. He hasn't stopped loving us. He loves us with an undying love. And if there is distance between us and God, we are the ones who put it there. And He says to them, you have forsaken. You have intentionally, volitionally chosen to leave your first love. The one you loved first. The one you loved best. You have left. But the good news is, He doesn't leave them there. And maybe you know somebody who used to be in love with Jesus. Maybe you would say to me that you used to be in love with Jesus. I read this week about a man named Arthur Templeton who was once an associate of Billy Graham. He preached in crusades with Billy Graham. He preached and moved multitudes. But there came a time when he was not sure about the truth of the Bible. And he began to question. It was in the, the mass tragedies that he saw in the world that he began to wonder whether or not really an intelligent person could believe in a loving God. And he, at some point, decided he no longer believed it. And he tried to convince Billy Graham not to believe it anymore, but he was unsuccessful in that. And in the latter years of his life, this man who had walked away from Jesus Christ was interviewed by Lee Strobel in the book called The Case for Faith. And Lee Strobel said to him, what, what happened? What do, you, what do you believe about Jesus? And he said, oh, I believe Jesus was the most wonderful man who ever lived. I believe He was a powerful teacher I believe Jesus was incredible. I believe He was brilliant. I believe, And he just started listing all these things. He's 83 years old. And he's saying all these things. And he said, I, I, I believe all these And then he said, to tell you the truth, I miss Him. And then he just began to weep. And he ended the interview. Because for him, there was a time that he could remember. And this is what Jesus says to His church. He says, you remember when you used to be in love with Me? Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember when you were head over heels in love with me. Remember that time. Don't forget that time. And I remember the prodigal son had his turning point when he remembered his father's house. He remembered how it was when he was growing up. He remembered the way that his father loved him. He, he remembered the way that his father fed him and cared for him. And he was the one who had walked away from that. And when he was sitting in the pigsty longing to eat the husks that the pigs were eating, he thought, I remember my father's house and even the servants are treated better than the way that I'm living now. And that was the pivot that was the turning point. That was the hinge for the story of his life because he decided to get up out of the pigsty and to begin to walk back to his father's house and delightfully discovered as he came around the corner and looked up the road and saw the wonderful sight through blurry eyes, 
tear-filled eyes, he sees his father's house and sees his father sitting on the porch looking down that road waiting for him to come home. And his father does the most undignified thing of all and runs down that road and welcomes him home and puts a ring on his finger and puts shoes on his feet and a robe on his back and kills a fattened calf and says, throw a party for my son who is dead has come back to life. And in that story, we discover that it all begins when the prodigal son remembers. And I would urge you tonight to think back, just this week, would you think back on your story and your life and remember when you loved God with a pure heart fervently, when the love of God burned as a bright flame in your life. Consider when it began to flicker. And oftentimes, with God's help, we can go back down the road and see where we walked away from the will of God. And the good news is, as long as we're alive, as long as our lampstand is in place, as long as Jesus is still talking to us and loving us, there's a chance for us to turn. We remember and then we repent. And He says you've got to repent. And repent is not just feeling sorry. It's not just confessing our sin. It's taking decisive action it means to turn it means to change our minds and he's saying repent and return repent of what you've done and the thing about the people in Ephesus when he says go back to your first deeds if you read in the book of of Acts chapter 19 they were sorcerers they were involved in witchcraft and when they became followers of Jesus they took all of their implements of sorcery and built a bonfire out of them do you remember this and it was worth 50,000 drachmas. How many drachmas do you have in your wallet? Well, you don't know until you know what a drachma is, but a drachma is a full day's wage. I would say at minimum wage, seven or eight bucks an hour, eight hours, 50, 60 dollars. Multiply that by 50,000, two and a half to three million dollars worth of sorcery goods they put in that bonfire and they burned them because this is what they knew. Once they knew Jesus, they could never go back to a life of sorcery. They could never go back to witchcraft now that they had found the true and living God. They never wanted to go back to trying to manipulate things around them with magic because they had found the One who is Lord over all and who was everything they needed. They knew what repentance was. Repentance is is Hernando de Cortez when he comes to the new world and his men get off the ships and they go to the shore and they look back at the ships that brought them all the way from the uh, ancient world and all the way from, from Europe to the new world and they look back and discover the ships are on fire. And they look at Cortez and say, what are you doing? And he said, we didn't come here to go back home. We came here to stay. That is repentance. It is to say... Most of us feel bad about some of the things we've done. We know there are things in our lives that God's not happy with. But my question tonight is, have we taken decisive action to say, I am never going back there again. I am burning the ships. I am staying in love with Jesus for the rest of my life. Because He alone is worthy of my love. And Jesus says, return to Me. Come back to your first love. Return to the One who loves you. The Lover of your soul. Return to Him and rest in relationship with Him. And He says, if you don't do that, then I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. You can't be a church and not be in love with Jesus. It doesn't work. Some years ago... um, 
Melanie and I had the chance to travel with our choir. Some of you remember you were there. We went to, to Spain and to, to Portugal, to Sevilla, Spain. I remember in Sevilla, Spain, there in Barcelona and Madrid. We saw, we saw the third largest cathedral in the world. I mean, beautiful architecture. Melanie and I went over a couple days early. We went to Notre Dame. We saw the, the great cathedral there. We saw all of these beautiful buildings. They have buildings in Europe. But there aren't people in the buildings. And after we saw all of these magnificent um, cathedrals with, with beautiful architecture in these buildings, then we went to worship with this little Baptist church uh, that was founded by a pastor who was a missionary from Brazil. He had trained at the feet of, uh, of uh, Ben Oliver. And he had been at that seminary in Rio. His name was Elton Rongel. And Elton had gone there to Sevilla, Spain, and he had started a church. And we walked into their, their building, and it was so different from the other buildings we had seen. Because there was no fabulous um, stained glass there. Um, there. There were no opulent walls or high ceilings. The walls were made of cinder block, but they had painted on the walls the Scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right behind where the preacher preached to remind that the Gospel was central in that church. And a, a verse from Second Chronicles that said, we are building a greater temple because our God is greater than the other gods. And I thought, if a person who had lived in Spain their whole lives walked in that building, they might have chuckled out loud and said, so this is your greater temple? Have you seen our magnificent cathedrals? But here's what I notice about that little church. Whereas in the great cathedrals, nobody is becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And in those places, they've become a virtual mausoleums and museums. In that little church, week by week, the Gospel is proclaimed and people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And that church is not dead, but alive. They are building a greater temple, but it's not in the architecture. It's in the architecture of their souls. And God is doing something great in that church. But when I look at some of those cathedrals, I wonder whether their lampstands have not been removed like the great museum that is Ephesus today. No evidence of a living faith at all. But this story doesn't end with bad news. It ends with good news when he says, if you've got ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying because if you will overcome I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And Jesus says to them, I want you to return to your first love. And I thought about one of my favorite love songs. You, you know this song. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art Mine. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. He goes on to sing, I, I love Thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Have you ever in your life loved Jesus Christ more than you do right now? Well, now's the time. Remember, repent, return to the lover of your soul, go back to the God who loves you best, and then remember the last, the last couplet of, of that song um, is in mansions of glory and endless delight. I'll ever adore Thee in heaven so bright. I'll love Thee with a glittering crown on my brow and sing, if ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's pray. God, thank You for loving us.
so greatly. And help us, I pray tonight, Lord, to remember how much You love us and to repent and return and love You first and best in our lives. And God, thank You for the privilege of being Your church. And help us never to take that for granted. Thank You for every every ministry that's going on in this church. And Lord, help us always to ask the question of motive. Not just what are we doing, but why are we doing it? And if our deeds in this place are motivated by anything less than supreme love for You, correct us, Lord. Make us right so that we don't work as a church in order to compare ourselves to other churches or to commend ourselves for all that we've done, but rather to say, Lord, in view of Your great love for us, we love You this much. And we will love You for all of our lives. And when we die, we will love You even more forever and ever. In Jesus' name, Amen.